The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 89 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not my present and past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearance that I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I remind our listeners, you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So, I was uh, trying to set up last week's show for quite some time. And man, it was really worth the wait because we had my friend Julian Waits on the show last week. And, and knowledge that he was spewing really just made me feel like I was drinking from a, a fire hose, right? It was one of those shows where it was just so much information coming at you. And it was, it was just a really good show. Um, when Julian speaks, he speaks from experience. You know, you have some of those, some people out there who are, you know, uh, intellects and, and, and learn from academia and learn in different ways. Um, but when Julian speaks, he's actually done it. He's been there. He's a practitioner in so many different places. And he's done so many different things and had so many different roles in his career. I mean, right up to the chief executive officer, of several different companies that, you know, it was just so refreshing and so eye-opening to hear him talk. And uh, it was a really, really good show, and it was definitely worth the wait. We covered a wide variety of different subjects, uh, from the biggest problems in cybersecurity today to the importance of speed and agility in cybersecurity, especially cybersecurity operations. We talked a little bit about insider threat models and where the, the triage team should sit with uh, the insider threat uh, capability and programs that uh, corporations are uh, putting in place today. We also talked about predictive analytics and where that's going. And Julian gave what I thought was one of the most articulate definitions of threat hunting operations that I've heard yet. And, it, and it's, it was very on point. And so we put that as the title of the show, even though in reality, we really spoke about a whole bunch of different things and a wide variety of topics and, and cybersecurity issues on last week's show. So all that was just in the first segment. <laughs> we did, we did two, uh, two more segments after that, of course. You know, we do a three-segment show. So it was a jam-packed episode full of all kinds of great cybersecurity information. So if you haven't heard it yet, please, you know, tune into last week's episode. You're, you're, you're definitely going to like it. It's definitely worth your time. That's the GM of the Cyber Business Unit at Devo. Julian Waits on last week's episode. That's episode number 88, folks, of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 Radio episodes on playback. 
just go to our new TF7 radio site at www.tf7radio.com and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage and you can find all the TF7 radio episodes right at your fingertips. You can also search our guest library, which we think is the most impressive list of some of the most prolific cybersecurity professionals in the world. And of course, we have our news section there as well, where you can check out all the latest cybersecurity news and news on Task Force 7 Radio. And you can even write comments on the different news articles and topics that we're talking about, which is always a lot of fun. So we're on at least 11 different playback mediums right now, at least. I think it's actually 12 or 13. I got to check up on that now. But we're just growing all the time. And that, that's thanks to our uh, world-class producers at Voice America. Um, just hit the subscribe button at the top of the right of the homepage, and you will see your entire selection of the playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website, which is really the best way to go. So this is the way you'll get all the TF7 Radio updates right from the site. And as the site gets more robust, you'll get notified about more TF7 extras and Encore episodes. Uh, we just posted one last week, so go check it out. It should be at, right at the top of your TF7 library list. And you also get news and events and information on the upcoming TF7 Network, too. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear any of our episodes at your convenience 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We really love it when you subscribe, folks. So we're going to mix it up again this evening. We're always trying to mix it up here. That's what I think makes the show attractive to a lot of the listeners out there. But I think you're going to love tonight's show. Is this different? You're not going to hear this on any, on, a, on any other podcast about cybersecurity. We have an amazing guest that's going to be on with us tonight. Strategist, publicist, and producer of the influential series Power On, Na Win is going to be with us this evening. And I'm going to spend some time talking about my friend Na before she comes on the show because she's an amazing woman who has really made a difference in people's lives. All right? She's, she's a difference maker. Um, and she's influencing people in, a, in such a positive way at mass scale, which is really amazing, and it deserves a lot of attention. And she's a self-described strategist who was previously a longtime publicist who fell into producing film and television. And uh, Andy and I have a, an entertainment company, and that's how we know Nah. That's how I know Nah. I think Andy's known Nah for quite some time. And what's cool about tonight's show is that you're going to be able to see where film and television and cybersecurity all intersect. And you won't hear this, this kind of stuff anywhere else, right? It's really cool. So Na currently works at the intersection of entertainment, sports, and philanthropy. She's developing original content and promotional campaigns for global brands as well as individual influencers to impact culture through creative storytelling. A lot of storytelling going on in cybersecurity as well. And we think it's a very effective way of learning and exchanging information and going through the whole distillation abstraction of, of, of data through, you know, what are your, whether you're sitting at a briefing and a board meeting or, or just at a conference, right? So with over 20 years experience, Nas' extensive work portfolio includes Google, Creative Artists Agency, Paramount Pictures, Miramax Films, Bad Robot, and the J.J. Abrams and Katie McGrath Family Foundation. She's also worked with the U.S. Open, Harness Screeners Actors Guild Awards, and Academy Award winner, Octavia Spencer. Nah is a Texas native. Uh, she started her entertainment career at two renowned Austin-based festivals, South by Southwest and Austin Film Festival, where she spent three years as the co-conference director. In 2001, Nah began working at Miramax Films, Miramax Films, in a special role that required her to split time between Los Angeles 
in Austin, where she worked in a, in a unit publicity for filmmaker Robert Rodriguez, and she's going to talk about Robert more this uh, this evening. So, interestingly, in 2003, Nam was recruited by talent powerhouse CAA, where she worked in corporate communications. It was very close, closely knitted with the CAA Foundation. In 2006, Nam began her six-year tenure as a publicist at Paramount Pictures, where she worked on over 75 films including leading campaigns for the Star Trek franchise, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, The Fighter, Shutter Island, Super 8, Paranormal Activity, Cloverfield, and the Oscar-winning Rango. So um, these are very, very uh, familiar films. They're hugely popular. I'm sure you recognize the names. And upon leaving the Paramount Pictures organization, Not took on the role of head of publicity for the inaugural TEDx Austin Woman event where she led the summit to become the number one TED Women event of the year. The TEDx Austin Women Conference then inspired the multiple award-winning feature documentary, A Brave Heart, The Lizzie Velasquez Story, which Na produced. How cool is that, right? So following success, Na reteamed with documentaries, Women Rising Productions, to serve as the producer on Protect Her, a docuseries about sexual assault prevention among athletes. Also armored with a large sports network, Na freelanced for CBS Sports for five years at the U.S. Open in New York as a talent liaison where she field-produced all pre- and post-match interviews with players such as Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams, and Novak Djokovic, among others. So Na's also served as executive director of PR and interactive marketing for Taste in Tennis New York and Taste of Tennis Australia for seven years. Now, Nock describes herself as, as a strategist, and she applies her expertise as a publicist and a producer towards opportunities where her unique skill set and wide network can be fully incorporated. Nock is currently in post-production for Everyone is Doing Great. That's an independent TV series on which she serves as a co-producer and publicist. But most recently, Nock produced, uh, was a producer and a creative director of Google's Power On film series. And it's an anthology of five cinematic short films helmed by first-time directors Julie Bowen, Nikki Reed, Rosaria Dawson, Anna Brenda Contreras, and Lisa Eldestein. And this, is, this, is a, this five cinematic short films was held to inspire girls in steam fields. So Power On uses technology as the narrative centerpiece in each of the short films and it also does this by touching upon some really other important social issues such as equality, gender, bullying, accessibility, and loss. Man, it's time to get to our star guest for this evening, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to welcome our friend, strategist, publicist, and producer of the influential series Power On, Nawin, to the show. Nah, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hey, we're really excited to be here. It's been a while since I've seen you, and it's great to speak to you. Uh, too much time has passed, certainly. Look, I want our audience to get uh, to know you a little bit, all right? You have an amazing background. You've done some amazing things here. And so tell us a little bit about your upbringing and the environment you grew up in and, and pretty much, you know, how this all started from the beginning. 
Yeah, of course. Well, George, I just want to say thank you so much again for having me. It's a real, it's a real honor and I'm glad to be here. I actually had a really unique and interesting foray into entertainment, which I do now, but I grew up um, with two parents who were doctors. And so I was born in Saigon, Vietnam, and my parents and I actually skate when I was just a year old. We spent 42 days on a boat coming to the U.S. And, you know, my parents who were doctors there were obviously escaping to try to give their kids a better opportunity here in America. And, you know, I grew up thinking that I was going to be a pediatrician. I studied biology in school and thought that I was going to follow in their footsteps. And then, you know, entertainment just took me on a different path. I was growing up in Texas and I went to the University of Austin and one summer I thought I kind of want to do something fun for the summer and before I was supposed to take the MCAT and think about seven more years in medical school, I had always loved films and entertainment so I wanted to try it out and I took a bunch of internships in Austin which is a really great artist community and and, you know, ended up working at a bunch of film festivals in Austin, Texas. And, this, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So those film festivals that you were working in, I mean, did you shoot to do that? I mean, is that something that you targeted in when you were doing these internships? Or did it kind of come about and, you know, maybe, you know, raised your interest in something different that you haven't thought about before? You know, Austin is a really, where I was going to college, Austin's just a great creative community. There's... I think it's known mainly for its music. And because of that, there was just a great um, community of people who wanted to to collaborate. And so when I started working in the film festivals and the internships, it would been, you know, South by Southwest had known, been known for its music festival, but it was also branching out into entertainment areas for film. And it also had a tech and interactive arm that was not quite um, what it is today, but it was interesting. And so I got to dive into all of it. So I initially just liked movies and then I started learning about the music part of it and the interactive, interactive part of it. And it was just really fascinating to me. And at the end of my internships, I ended up thankfully getting offered a job at South by Southwest and also Austin Film Festival where I was interning. And then I took a leap of faith. I told my parents I wasn't going to go to medical school. And then I ended up working at the film festivals for three years. And through that, met a lot of writers, showrunners, directors, producers, et cetera, that were based in Los Angeles that were, co that were coming out to my festivals to speak and talk on panels and just learning from them and being inspired from them. I thought after a couple of years, I wanted to give LA a try and, and headed west. Clearly, that you know, you're a great example of how nurturing relationships and taking advantage of opportunity. You're clearly, you know, we talk a lot about branding. We talk a lot about uh, mentoring on the show and in, in cybersecurity space. I mean, we've got to be able to um, kind of grow your career. Any, any advice, you know, for our audience around how, you know, you approach build, building and nurturing relationships that pave the way for you? Yeah, absolutely. Building relationships and nurturing them specifically has been the one thing that's helped me the most. And what I learned in the beginning, which I think, you know, could apply here as well, which is that, you know, when you get into film and entertainment, there's so many different parts of the machine, right? As I imagine, there are so many different complicated areas of cybersecurity and understanding that. For me, with films, I didn't know, you know, the nuts and bolts of it. But what I knew I I could do was develop and nurture relationships. So as I was learning my way and just making my way through 
the industry and the business part of it and, you know, understanding that I knew that I could focus on the relationship side of it and just getting in that way. So I certainly think that that's something that I've used to transfer into all the other things that I've done from film to sports to philanthropy. And, you know, it certainly helped me and it's invaluable learning how to, to navigate those relationships. So, you know, it's interesting to me when I think about, we often, you know, we're talking about careers here and we're talking about talent management and mentorship on the show a lot. And I, it seems as, as you climb the ladder, right, as you become more senior in the cybersecurity industry, relationships matter more than skill at some point, right? And then, you're, and then other soft skills come in and then, you know, it starts to shift, I think if you have some, you know, you know, when you're looking for entry-level positions or even mid-level management positions, a lot of the, the skill and practitioner um, experience that you have comes in. And then as, as, you, as you get more senior, I mean, I, you know, people start letting certificates expire. You know, I have. I mean, I, what am I going to do with the, the CISSP at this point? Um, but what, it, 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 I think it's the relationships that matter the most. I mean, what do you think? What, what's been your experience? Absolutely. That's completely the same trajectory for my career as well. I think when I first started at film festivals, you're diving in, you're just learning it. And then my first job in LA was working at Miramax Films. And what I wanted to build there was strategically, I thought I just want to build media relationships, press relationships, get to understand the people in the business. And then with my next job, I was at Creative Artists Agency and I wanted to learn. It was a large company. It's a huge corporation, the number one talent agency at the time. And I wanted to learn the corporate world. And then when I got to my third job, which is Paramount Pictures, I was focused on building filmmaker relationships. So I think, as you say, it's like you're learning the nuts and bolts of the industry and the technicalities of it, right? The structure of it first. But then as you do get more senior, I imagine in cybersecurity, it's so much about it's trust, it's relationships and trust. So that's the thing that I think differentiates you from somebody else. It's how you feel about the person that you're working with and whether or not you trust them. And that comes with experience, which you can't shortcut. You know, I was thinking about and reflecting on something that you said earlier about you took a leap of faith and sort of followed your gut, I think, in a sense. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you told your parents that you're going to go forego medical school yeah, and 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 pursue uh, another yeah. avenue, uh, another career, and then you took this, you know, I mean, then you moved to LA, right? You're a young woman, and you moved to LA, and you're just, you know, taking on the world. What's that like? I mean, you're an inspiration to a lot of young women out there, so I really want to sort of delve into this a little bit because they want to hear from you, right? So, well, I had a really. Um, interesting path to LA and one that was uh, probably caused a lot more confusion with my parents to begin with and that when I went from the film festival world I when I wanted to move to LA I actually wrote down a list of 20 people that I'd met and kept up with and built relationships with in terms of people from the industry and a couple of those people happened to be Austin-based filmmakers Robert Rodriguez who's a wonderful writer director and his producer Elizabeth Avion who at the time had done incredible movies for Miramax films. And so they were part of the list that I reached out to and through their great relationships, they were able to get me a job at Miramax films. Let's let's just back to that for a second. This is part of the list that you just reached out to. Like what, how did that happen? Did you just, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to call these people and introduce myself and, and see what they think about me and see what, what, what kind of opportunities they might have for me. How does it work? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I have no relationships. I have no relationships whatsoever in in entertainment. And remember, I was a biology major in school, so I had no idea how the business worked. But I was just an intern, and I was volunteering at these festivals. But what I knew again it was just I knew how to do a good job and pay attention to the details and make good relationships. And so what I would do is I would only see these writers and filmmakers for one weekend out of the whole entire year. But I made sure that during that weekend, I had everything in line for them. Everything ran smoothly. And then, you know, over the next three years before I moved to LA, I would just keep in touch. And that really just meant every six months, I'd send, you know, a birthday card or a Christmas card, or I'd say, hey, I just saw that last movie that you did. Congratulations. And just kept... Um, in their minds and top of their minds. And so when I reached out three years later saying, hey, I want to move to LA, I wasn't this girl that they forgot from three years ago that I couldn't remember, but I'd been somebody who kept in touch a little bit. And so some of them were really kind to sit with me and just do general meetings when they gave me advice. Some filmmakers were kind enough to send my resume out to other places. And so that's how I got, that's how I sort of got it moving along. And Robert and Elizabeth, who were the Austin-based filmmakers said, hey, what do you want to do? And they were part of the group that were kind enough to do meetings with me. And at the time I said, look, I want to work at DreamWorks or Miramax because at the time they were in their heyday and they were the ones making the best movies and getting the best um, opportunities out there. So Robert Rodriguez was doing a lot of work and had a deal at Miramax Films. He had done, um, he'd just been finishing Once Upon a Time in Mexico was when I came on board. And then he did the Spy Kids movie franchise with them and Sin City. And so he had a great um, reputation there, great relationships. And so he introduced me to a woman named Shannon McIntosh, who was the head of post-production at the time. And she walked me down to HR when we met and she said, Hey, can we get this young lady a job here in some way? So I started as a temp. It wasn't that easy where I just got a full-time job, but she got me in the door. And I, again, that was through, I didn't know Shannon at all, but that was through having Robert and Elizabeth vouch for me and the relationship that I had with them. So I started as a temp in casting and development and did that for a few years. I mean, sorry, a few months. And then after a couple of months, the only job that was available at the time was a job as an assistant in publicity. And I knew what publicity was, obviously, through working at the festivals, but I didn't understand the impact that it had in the machine that was making a film. And so I was already paying rent in LA. I'd been living there for three, four months. I had to take a job. And so I thought, I'm going to take the job and, you know, take another leap of faith. And what ended up happening was that job was incredible and it was a really special role at Miramax where I got to spend six months of the year working in Los Angeles on Academy campaigns, Oscar campaigns for, for their movies. And then the other six months of the year, I actually went back to Austin and worked on set with Robert Rodriguez when he was shooting those other movies, doing a job that was called unit publicity, which is helping out with PR when a film is in production. But that was a little bit confusing because after three, four months of living in LA and pleading with my parents to let me move to LA. I'm now back home in Austin working at this um, film studio making $237 a week. And they were just, I mean, it was, it was tough for them for a few years. But it's the American dream right now. Like it, it's, it's opportunity. You saw it, you were motivated, you went after it, right? Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it didn't quite turn out the way that 
any of us had originally thought I was on a path to be a doctor, but that is the American dream, right? To just follow your heart. And there's, there's a great, um, there's great opportunity here. Often, you know, I'm talking to people a lot. We talk about networking and they get so frustrated. They get like, well, it's, you know, they see it's, well, it's just so much effort to put in all this effort for things that might happen years from now. Right. And I try to tell them that these conversations, I try to return and I shouldn't say this because I try to return every inquiry I get, every email I get. I, try to, I do my best. I do my absolute best to do it because I think it's so disrespectful not to return your calls, not to return your texts. You know, when I see people do that, disrespectful, disrespectful, right? So I try, I try to have that good business acumen and, and stay in touch with people. And I think that has helped me tremendously because, you know, when you'll, you'll just, you just never know who you're going to talk. And it's not just talking to people more senior than you either, right? It's talking to people in all kinds of levels and in all kinds of phases of their career. And you, you can learn something from everybody, I think. That's, that's, I, I, that's at least what I, what I think when I do uh, my networking. And, and it's a considerable amount of effort, too. I spent, you know, hours and hours a week networking, just networking, talking to people. Um, you know, like, I, like 90, 90% of the stuff, you know, something might never come. Of it, but you know that ten percent of the time that it does is very oh, meaningful, right? It's yeah. very meaningful, and being able to help other people too, you know, always you know made me feel good. I like to you to just opine on how you network and how time consuming it is for you, and if you have a strategy uh, with your networking. Yeah, I mean, listen, I couldn't agree with you more on the response factor, which is, and that's you know something that frustrates me too. I am responsible for all the emails that I get. And so as a courtesy, and you know, it's common courtesy, you have to respond to people and acknowledge that. And so I so appreciate that you do that. Um, and networking can be really tough. Like when I first moved to LA, the thing that you always hear about Los Angeles in particular is that it's in the entertainment industry, it's all about who you know, and it couldn't be more true. And what I found out that is it, it just really needs to be what you're comfortable with. When I started off here as an assistant, there were so many networking events where you would go and it'd be great. It, you know, the intention is to meet more people, but you go to these events and there's 50 people or a hundred people and then you're spending 30 seconds talking to people and it becomes this race of like trying to meet as many people as, as you can. And what I found is that I don't operate well that way. Like I don't retain relationships that way for me personally. And I don't like those types of events. And so what I always did was try to get, you know, if I went to an event, I talked to maybe two people or three new people and spent 15 minutes with them or 20 minutes with them really getting to know them and learning about where they come from. And, you know, I'm just a curious person by nature. And so I love asking questions and learning about other people. And if you can do that at a party and over the time, you know, over time, you'll find that you're, you're seeing the same people over and over. And when you're working in this business and the way that I've also strategically done that at places where I've worked is meet an incredible amount of people. And especially working at the large companies that I did, it's hard to know everybody, but again, what I always try to apply is who are the core set of people who work the same way that I do, who think the same way that I do. And those are the people that I gravitated towards. And those are the handful of people that I kept in touch with. And if you just keep in touch with a handful of people who you truly like and respect, um, you'll see that your network starts to build over the course of time. And the thing that I was I'll keep in mind is you can't make old friends. 
So after being in the business for 20 years, you know, it's hard to call someone, someone up and say, you know, it's just a different phone call when you call someone that you've known and worked with for 10, 15, 20 years. And then when you call someone who you're making a cold call to, you know? Awesome. Awesome. So look, we got to transition to a commercial break here, but hang with us. I want to ask you about power on and a whole bunch of other stuff coming up. Okay, so we got great. Uh, plenty more to come folks. Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF seven radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF seven radio. And you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF seven family on your favorite social media platform. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. Excuse me, tf7radio.com. That's my old address. I keep doing that sometimes. And, and sometimes the producers yell at me, hey, you got to fix that. It's at tf7radio.com. That's with the number seven, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, strategist, publicist, and producer of the series Power On, Na Win. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, strategist, publicist, and producer of the series, Power On, Na Win. So, Na, you know, um, we talk a lot about pivoting in cybersecurity because people are, are looking to pivot from different, different domains in cybersecurity, different jobs, and also outside of cybersecurity altogether. And we're often, there's a big talent crisis, right? And we have to get the talent. We need butts and seats to actually do the jobs that are out there. There's hundreds of thousands of jobs that can't be filled because we don't have the people to, to fill them. But you've been able to bounce between industries and you've pivoted several times, even from film to a sports to philanthropy, uh, first as a publicist and then as a producer. And now you're, you're branding yourself as a strategist. So before I get to even what that means, tell us a little bit of how you pivoted, what your, you know, uh, what has been sort of your strategy in, in moving your career and advancing your career and taking these different jobs? Well, I always knew from the beginning that I had so many different interests. I think as people, we, we grow and we change, right? So, you know, I'm not a, I'm a totally different person from when I was 18 to 28 to, you know, a little bit older now. But I think that to think that you're going to have the same professional interests and goals as you get older, as you change as a person, um, it's unrealistic and it's also not fun, right? So I always knew that I wanted to work in a bunch of different areas, but I knew that I had to find a way that could, that would let me transition into all of that. So what I wanted to do strategically is build a skill set that I thought every business could benefit from. And I always, you know, I fell into marketing publicity in the beginning um, because it was the only job that was available at the time that I mentioned. But when I got into it, I learned early on that every top business and every large corporation needs to have a marketing department, needs to have a publicity department because they need to raise awareness about what the company's doing. So I, I luckily had some really great mentors that helped guide me as well and learn that, you know, if I had that skill set, the structure of it is the same. The structure of pitching a story, finding the right champion, really is the same whether you're in film or sports or philanthropy or you know whatever it may be and I think even on your side it's again about those relationships and getting people to be aware of a what's happening and how to pay attention to it how to make it better and and so that's what I did I started building a foundation in marketing and publicity getting to know the players press people building those relationships and then learning the craft of it how to pitch the story, how to find the right narrative, branding is really important as well, and how you position yourself and position the company and the people that you're talking about. And then just building those um, relationships where people trust you and take your word for it. So how important are skills like persuasion and influence and negotiation and things like that, how these soft skills that, uh, that you're talking about in terms of how you've navigated through your career? I mean, I look at it as they're not really soft skills. I think those are necessities for life. I mean, if you, the way that I look at it is, um, (laughs) they're absolutely necessary. That's interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not a nice to have. You have to have it. You have to. I mean, you're negotiating. Put it there with air and water. Yeah. You're negotiating everything in life. So whether you're, you know, 
trying to get a better deal on a car or you're trying to, you know, get a better deal on, I don't know, when you're shopping or anything, you're, oh, you're constantly negotiating. So what I always tell people about marketing publicity, and it's actually, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm writing a book about marketing publicity that is a guide for filmmakers, but it really is a, um, it's a conversation of how to negotiate in life. It's how to be strategic about everything that you do in life because on any given day, you're trying to get something from people in your life, right? Whether it's negotiating with your parents when you're a kid about how to have a later curfew. So right. having those skills is a necessity. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, also, we often talk about how are, you know, what does the board want to hear from cybersecurity experts? And one of the things that we debate all the time is how to structure your briefings to the board. What should be included? How, and how much should you emphasize metrics? Yeah. And we talk a lot about storytelling. Right? Yeah. I've had people on here that say, you know, um, hey, you know, the board, they want to see the metrics. They want to see, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think they do. I think there's, there obviously you're going to give them some metrics, but I, I would never go to the board and show them a bunch of metrics. I mean, that would just be almost like suicide, I think. Um, I think what they really want to hear is stories. They want to hear you tell them, give content to the metrics. Okay, you can have the metrics in the, in, in the deck someplace so they can refer to it, but what they really want to hear is what does it all mean? And they want to hear a story behind it is how does it affect our organization? And storytelling and, and, and attempting to shift cultures is something that is front and center in cybersecurity. And it's one of the things that we try to do um, to make cybersecurity conversations more accessible by speaking from a common lexicon of risk often. And so what do, what, what do you see about storytelling and the importance of storytelling in business? I mean, I think it's vital. I think storytelling and you know, in the way that it's manifest with entertainment and film and television is that it's one of the most meaningful and can be one of the quickest ways to shift culture because so much of what people think and feel is because of what they see on screen. So I think in terms of, you know, what we're, the content that we're making with entertainment and what you're doing in your boardrooms, it's all about putting the people that you're talking to into, into certain situations, right? So when I think about what I'm doing with publicity, I always work backwards and like, what's my end goal? What do I want people to feel and think? And then who's my audience? Because you have to cater to who you're talking to because you're obviously going to talk a different way to, you know, a large corporation than you are a small intimate room of maybe like 12 educators, right? So I think you have to adjust, but I think the thing that always works with um, any audience is like, how do you put them into the shoes of what you're trying to convey? So I actually had a really interesting, um, one of the producers that I worked with on a docu-series called Protect Her. It's a sexual assault prevention program for athletes in colleges. And what she did in her presentation was she would go from locker room to locker room to locker room and talk to athletes and what it means to redefine manhood, you know, teaching them about sexual assault prevention in their own industry, in the sports industry. But what she did in her presentation is before she would go talk to them, she would research all of the football players or all of the basketball players. And she would look at their Instagrams. And in her deck, she would use personal 
photos. And it was a private, you know, presentation, obviously, but she would put in her presentation, like sisters and mothers and wives and say, how do you feel if this was your story? And it was an amazing reaction they got because when they saw their loved ones on screen, it completely changed how they were viewing her talk and how they, um, took it in. So they had they now had a personal connection to it. So it's finding that personal connection that's so key into every presentation that you do. You have to in the very beginning set the tone and get people personally invested because if they have an emotional connection to it, emotional an emotional connection plus information equals long-term memory. So that's how it's going to make an impact. Interesting. So I want to get the power on here in a second because this is really uh, yeah. something that I think our our, our audience is going to you're very interested in, but I have to ask you, I mean, I just want to nail down the, the pivoting that you did a little bit more uh, in your career. For, for Leo, what exactly does a publicist do? Can you tell the audience and what kind of projects you work on, what your day-to-day responsibilities and what's that look like? Yeah, as a publicist, I deal with press and journalists and writers and editors every single day. So for any given project that I'm working on, whether it's events or a movie, um, for example, when I was a publicist at Paramount Pictures, I was there for six years and worked with filmmakers from J.J. Abrams to David O. Russell to Oliver Stone. And what my responsibility was for all of their movies, take, for example, Star Trek, my job was to get press and news shows and newspapers to talk about the director, talk about the actors, talk about the movie to make sure that people knew when it was coming out and help get um, butts and seats basically. So I would negotiate every single day. Again, it's just a daily negotiation process, right? With um, talk shows and say, hey, I've got this great cast. Can I get them on to Jimmy Kimmel? Or I've got this great story. Can I get a piece about it in Vanity Fair? So it's negotiating what, assets I had and what they were looking for and what made sense. So how did you make the transition from working with these large corporations to consulting? So I, again, always knew that I wanted to, to work in a mix of things. And so when after I'd been doing publicity at these large corporations for a long time, it had been almost, you know, 10, 15 years, I had a great opportunity to, um, there was a six month period where I didn't have another movie assigned to me at Paramount. And I thought this is a great time for me to take um, again, another leap of faith and have some time. I was able to tell them and then have some time to explore other opportunities. And, you know, what I wanted to do was I also loved sports and I also love philanthropy. So I wanted to mix the two. And so I talked to a couple of people that I'd worked with actually while I was at Paramount and had great experiences with um, outside of just doing publicity for their movies to try to explore what that might look like. And one of the places was the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which was the Oscars every year. I'd worked on a project with them while I was at Paramount for several years. So I started exploring with them what it might look like to work in entertainment, but also some sort of educational aspect or social media, uh, social impact um, aspect. And then I also, because I had the great honor of working with filmmaker JJ Abrams and doing publicity for all of his movies when I was at Paramount, he, as I have always told people and I've talked about him, is it is incredible of the filmmakers he is, he is an even more incredible human being. He and his wife, Katie McGrath, are so incredibly philanthropic and just, you know, I, I live by everything that they do and how they run their company. So I, you know, started talking to them as well as huge philanthropists and how do I 
start combining all the things that I love and wanted to work for them. But at the time, you know, the Academy and his company, Bad Robot, were still in early phases of doing um, the philanthropy work that they're doing now. And so it wasn't the right time for me to go there. But I knew that I, I needed to pursue it in some way, shape, or form. So I left Paramount. And one of the jobs that I actually had while I was at the studio um, because I love sports, I used to take vacation days and, you know, work at the U.S. Open in New York for um, 10 days out of the year. And so I, since I couldn't get the jobs that I had been thinking about in entertainment with philanthropy, I thought, well, I'm going to kind of do uh, a little bit in sports then and, and try to take my time to figure out how to put these pieces together. So the first year after I left Paramount when I was freelancing was really in tennis and sports. And so I worked at the US Open, but there was another marketing company called AYS, which is At Your Service Sports, and they did all of these incredible events leading up to the US Open that were pairing up tennis players with world-renowned chefs cooking together, and they did it as a fundraiser. So all the elements that I liked, which was I knew marketing, publicity, how to help them raise awareness about their event. It had tennis players, which I loved, and then it had food, which I loved as well, and it was all for a good cause. So for the first year after I left, I did, I ended up doing tennis events for them in New York and Australia. And then after that, a couple of people from entertainment started to, and myself included, started to figure out what I was actually doing. Because it takes a second to, you know, to kind of lay that out and have people adjust to a new you. And, and after about a year, I had a friend of mine who I worked with at Paramount reached out to me to help her run the PR campaign for a TED talk. And then, you know, JJ and his company reached out and said, can you consult for us for this? And then CA called and said, can you consult for us for this? And one of those jobs ended up being um, leading to a documentary, which I produced. And that was the jump into producing. So I'll talk about that a little bit. You made this jump, you, you did some projects and then and it sort of led into this power on film series. And how did this all come about? Tell, and I want to hear about Power On, obviously. Yeah, so one of the jobs, one of the first jobs that I had was working on a documentary um, for Women Rising Productions. It was based on a TED Talk that we, the TED Talk that I worked on and a speaker that we had there. And so that was a movie called A Brave Heart, the Lizzie Velasquez story about this young girl who was a bullying victim turned bullying activist. She... Um, at the time was born with a rare syndrome that only let that enabled her from maintaining or gaining fat on her body. So she had been dubbed as the world's ugliest woman on YouTube. And it was this horrible story about um, bullying that she experienced. And so we did a documentary there. And then after that, I did that protect her docuseries um, that was sexual assault prevention um, project with women rising again. And then, you know, part of that, foray into filmmaking was J.J. Abrams was doing another, um, he was doing a web series this time with Google and it was called Moonshot and also partnered with a company called XPRIZE and it was a nine part series about how do we champion these teams that were building a um, rover to go to the moon and it was a competition. So I worked on that series for J.J. and it was funded by Google and launched at South by Southwest where I previously worked. And so from that, one of my um, first bosses in Mir at Miramax Films had heard about the series. And she at the time was working, her name is Sandra Candido. And she at the time was president of production 
at a company called Straight Up Films, which is a female-founded and operated production company. And they had pitched an idea to Google about um, how do we champion young girls in computer sciences because they were mothers of these young girls and realized that at some point at a young age, girls who were initially interested in science kind of start veering the other way. And so they pitched this great project to Google. And then Sandra Candida remembered that I'd worked on this project with JJ and launched a very similar web series and worked with Google. And again, all to inspire um, kids and new scientists. And she reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to come aboard and help us produce this? And that's how the Power On series um, turned out. So Power On is a short film anthology and it was directed by five actresses. And we were really intentional about every step of the way because we wanted to, to be mindful of um, opportunities that had been given before. So we wanted to have actresses direct these shorts. And we had some really incredible actresses, Julie Bowen, who you may know from Modern Family, Rosario Dawson, Nikki Reed, Anna Brennan Contreras, and Lisa Edelstein, who were all wonderful um, actresses and and A-list talent in their own realm. And then we wanted to have them be the directors, though, because we wanted to celebrate the connection and the relationship between entertainment and technology, as, as you guys, I think, know really well. And I think from there, we also wanted to offer it out to people who had not had the opportunity to direct before, so first-time directors. And another big intention for us was to have these female directors work with male screenwriters. So they were already established actors in their own right in the industry, but having them work and collaborate with emerging male writers was something that was really important to us as well. So all of these five short films use technology as the centerpiece in some way, shape, or form, but they also touch on really important issues such as bullying and quality and gender and accessibility and loss. And so it was a wonderful way to storytell, but show that you know, entertainment and technology, and even more specifically with you guys, you know, one of our shorts touches on this, it's like cybersecurity. It, it really is seamless. It's a part of our everyday lives and they really do work together and they have to work together. If we're going to try to find a solution for these things. Um, one being, as you talk about cyber attacks and the other being like having more women be in these fields. So it's steam fields, it's science, technology, entertainment, arts, and mathematics that we were trying to inspire young girls to, to further pursue. Yeah, I love, I love Julie Bowen's film with, with Girl Code and just watching that, you know, the sisters just kind of go back and forth. I mean, two different yeah. characters with two different personalities, you know, ultimately kind of realizing, like, wow, this is pretty cool, right? Uh, what What's some of the reactions you're getting just around Steam and with Power On that you didn't expect, you know, after you, when you got involved? Well, we didn't know what to expect at all. We were certainly hopeful, but it's a really... I think hard conversation to have and, and, and tell me if you've experienced this as well. It's like when you start talking about um, computer sciences, I think there's a stigma to it that it's uncool or it's complicated or it's hard. And what we try to do and what I try to do with my experience in just branding and marketing is just make it more accessible. So that's why we wanted to do the series. And so we didn't really know how it was going to be received, but, we were trying to put as many things in place as possible to help it along, which is again, using these wonderful actresses who already had a name and a platform and an audience that reached into entertainment and inspiring girls in technology was important, but you know, tapping into girls who were already interested was obviously 
um, focus, but expanding that into parents and students and teachers and educators who weren't interested in computer sciences was key for us because we wanted to use the entertainment space to be able to talk to people and say, hey, this is actually really cool. And it's not, it's not just cool. It's actually important and it's affecting everything in your world. I mean, Julie Bowen, as you mentioned, you know, we got a great response from her short and collectively the five shorts, we have over a million and a half views, which is fantastic for us for a very, um, you know, it was an, an initiative that had very little, I think, support and money for it was a passion project for all of us. And so that was really incredible to know that it had been watched so many times. But I think for Julie's, you know, what she was trying to do and her inspiration for it, she was trying to think like, you know, what is, if we're talking about STEAM, we're talking about computer sciences and technology, like that can be really boring, but like, what am I going to be able to do that would be interesting? And she used her niece as her inspiration and thought like, well, what is she, you know, what is she going to be able to watch all the way through? And her interesting take on it was like, you know, kids these age, like, the thing that they love to do is that they, they, they got to ditch the mom. Like you're always trying to find ways to ditch your parents and hang out with your friends and be cool. Right. So her short, which is called girl code is about her daughters who were fighting over how they're going to get to a computer coding class as one of the sisters. And the other sister just wants to go to hang out with her friends at the mall. And it's this fight about how they're going to do it. And her, you know, and their mom's just is too busy to take them. And she makes them figure out how to, you know, yeah. get the self-driving car becomes yeah. cool, right? And so, so they it's, have this self-driving car. The self-driving yeah. car comes and takes them, and what they don't realize, but the girl who wants to just go to the mall and hang out with her friends, and she doesn't realize is like technology has created everything that she thinks is cool, which is Instagram, Snapchat, and you know that starts from technology. Right. Yeah, I, I love the um, you know trying to bridge the gap between different perspectives. Right. And I think that's the key. Right. I think, you know, we've got to be able to bridge the gap, appreciate in, in the value and the perspective that every, you know, someone else or another group brings. Uh, and, and I think that gets overlooked a lot. Um, so, you know, I love the I love the series. It's a great job. Um, but what can we do, you know, to continue to champion you know, these issues, whether it's you know, men and women champion each other? Um, what, what else can we do? I mean, I think on the, you know, a really basic level, it's just in terms of being a good human being, right? So if you see things happening that aren't supposed to be happening, don't be afraid to stand up and speak out. That's number one. And I think, too, what I love doing is just learning, um, just always being curious and learning about things and asking people about their their lives and their journeys. I think that everybody has a really interesting story. And, you know, what, what I actually been thinking about this whole time that we're talking is that it's amazing that I've, you know, I've known you guys for a long time, but I knew you guys from <laughs> your secret service days. And when I was working at CAA and at, right. which is a talent agency and entertainment agency that reps, directors and actors. But I met you guys when you were doing, you were in the secret service and we were trying to have, um, uh, it was an event that was supposed to happen at the agency and you guys came to do yeah. like a detail, a sweep, but I, yeah. So we went from physical, physical security, right? Yeah. Uh, it's to, crazy. Uh, and and I, entertainment to, to here we are talking about cyber and, and, you know, gender diversity issues. It's fantastic. Uh, progress. Yeah. I, and again, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's evident that everything circles back, right? I think again, one, it's about the relationships and the fact that this was, 
I mean, God, I think now it was probably 15 years ago, but everything circles back in one way, shape or form um, with relationships. And then too, professionally, you, you, you just start to see that everything's connected, you know, and in terms of entertainment, I'm constantly, you know, it's such an honor for me to be on your show and on the podcast and talking about this and learning about what you guys do, because it affects everything that I do because, you know, in entertainment, you're constantly worried about how things are getting leaked and how we can prevent that kind of stuff. And so everything that you guys do has such an impact on the entertainment industry. So I'd actually love to hear from you guys, like what you experience and what would be helpful for you to tell us like what we're doing wrong and what we need to be paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fun topic. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, first the awareness is critical, right. You know, understanding that, you know, in the fast paced environment that you're moving, um, you know, and you, you got to create an open creative environment, which creates and introduces risk. Right. Um, and then you have the other extreme in some environments where you're producing and directing where you're, they're so locked down. Right. But then you have to then rely on partners and vendors that are going to you outsource to, right? And then how do you protect that? And and the challenges you face in that environment aren't really different than any other company. Um, And then there's a whole host of other things, right? In terms of, you know, pirated software, once it gets released, how do we, you know, if it were to be stolen, how do we then get it back or prevent the, you know, crisis from being worse, right? And um, there's a lot of work, you know, I was at uh, Verizon, we did a lot, you know, a lot of work around, you know, what can we do around the network, you know, and how and we talk about the interconnected nature of the world, right? If the data is stolen, how can we find ways to um, tag that IP that's being, you know, traversing the, uh, the, the backbone and being able to block it from going someplace or putting, limiting network traffic to make sure that, you know, the data couldn't be released. And so there was a whole bunch of things that we worked with, you know, the Motion Picture Association, a whole bunch of associations around this kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, it still comes back to bad people wanting to do bad things, right? And if we could just be, you know, good human beings, right, we could solve a lot of these problems together, right? So can't change the home like we talked about in the beginning. Yeah. So we're talking about diversity. We're talking about inclusion and opportunity and how you create that uh, for women in industry, whether it's in entertainment or whether it's in sports or whether it's in cybersecurity. And so some of the things that you've spoken about, I think, are definitely transferable into our space, including, you know, having uh, women work with uh, men on on certain projects. Um, I think you spoke about, you know, some of the producers never produced before. So sometimes we call them, you know, maybe a reach project or, you know, a reach goal. uh, And and when we're doing goals and objectives in in business and in the corporate world to say, okay, this is something that's way outside of, us, uh, your comfort zone. Let's see, let, you know, let's give you an opportunity to go for it. And that, you know, that doesn't go just for, just for women, it goes for anyone. But I think those opportunities uh, and that type of management practice goes a long way in, in, in giving uh, minorities and, and women opportunities in this space. So let me, let me ask you, were there challenges that you faced as an Asian American in the entertainment industry? And how did you deal with that if you actually did? Yeah, absolutely. When I started out, I was um, usually the only like handful, like there were only one or two other women in the room or in the boardroom mm-hmm. when I started. And I was always the only Asian American person in there. And I was always the only Asian American woman in there. So there were a couple of, you know, challenges and obstacles. But the thing is, I was also really lucky. I was also really 
grateful to have the mentors that I had and the way that I overcame being, you know, the odd person out in terms of there's no, there weren't any other Asians when I started is I would start to look at, well, who's different in any way, shape or form. Like I'm different because I'm Asian, but who's the other woman of color here? Or who's the other just woman in this room? And I would gravitate toward them and I would get to know them and I would try to form a bond with them and collaborate with them and work with them. And then what I found that the more you reach out to people who are different, the more you realize a, that they want to be helpful and they feel isolated as well. And B you're more alike than you are different, right? But there's strength in numbers. And so in the beginning, I was really lucky to have some great um, female mentors that I had you know, mentioned earlier, and they were key to just breaking in there and breaking in the system for me. And again, it's just about building your network. So slowly, you know, one by one, you start to kind of just build your tribe, build your team. And so that was really helpful. And then one of the things that I also remember so vividly when I was at Paramount, we used to do these great um, brainstorming sessions. There was a woman who worked in policy named Dora Candelaria, who's a friend of mine, and she was a senior exec there in PR, and she had pitched this idea to the president of marketing, who was a female named Megan Colligan, and, you know, the idea was that we would do these quarterly brainstorming sessions with different people in different departments, because in the PR department, you, you kind of like, you know, you, you recycle through a lot of the same ideas, but Dora said, well, we used to do this before at another company. Why don't we do it here where we invite, uh, you know, people from different positions, from assistants to S senior vice presidents to people from research and finance. So then we can have a different pool of perspectives. And one of the things that I also learned from doing these brainstorming sessions was I was always that nerd that would sit right next to Megan Colligan, who's the president of marketing, and I would want to be seen and heard and learn as much as I could and be in front of her. And then at the end of the brainstorming session, people would have ideas that, you know, we obviously couldn't go through all of them, but I would always volunteer and say, hey, I'll take everybody's ideas and put them into a presentation. And what I realized was there were so many people in the room who were sitting much further down who just were shy and didn't have, you know, the at the time, um, the desire to speak up, but they have really incredible ideas. But what was helpful coming out of that was that knowing that there were champions in the room and I, I tried to be that person as well, where I would try to say like, Hey, I actually got this really great idea from this person last time. Do you want to bring it up? And some people are just shy to come forward. So if you are a type of person who is a little more assertive or not as um, shy to do so, but you know, you have colleagues who have wonderful ideas, be a champion to them and find a way that helps shine a light on them in a way that they're obviously comfortable, but just champion people in that way. Like there's so many people who have wonderful ideas, but just need a little bit of a gentle nudge and push to the front of the room um, to help them. So that's certainly something that can be, that can be useful. And we see that in our space a lot, right? We've got so many yeah, talented sure. people that just, um, you know, technical, you know, you know, they just, they just, need a little bit of a nudge to get their stuff out in front. And uh, yep. when you do, man, you know, we've got huge startups right now, like, you know, getting acquired for, you know, uh, CrowdStrike goes a billion dollars. We've had 750, you know, 780,000, I think for recorded future, right? Po folks that are just dynamic individuals, but, That's you know, you know yes, yeah, so the space is growing. So if you have, 
you know, just need that nudge, get it out there. Right. And hopefully, um, you know, between power on and task force seven and mediums like this, like we're going to continue to, you know, help make this happen. Yeah. And I will say the other thing that's very key and we touched upon the opportunity for, um, for other people, which is the other part of it is that having them be, um, prepared for it. So the opportunity is great, but we have to make sure that there's some sort of system in place and training in place that makes them ready for it. So we have to start implementing those as well. So, you know, opportunity is great, but you have to make sure that there's a way for somebody to be prepared. Yeah. So we're going to continue this conversation when we get back. Uh, I want, and I, you know, I want to talk about some of these, uh, if we can get to it, maybe we not get to it, but you know, the, the CrowdStrike IPO dispensions is, you know, they were like 11, 13 billion. They were worth at one point with the, I haven't looked what the latest valuation was, but uh, just an amazing, amazing uh, story that is. And, and we have a lot of stories like that in cybersecurity. And, and it's getting to, you know, getting back to the fact that people were giving opportunities in this space and, and they took advantage of it and they ran with it and they, they've been very successful. So I want to get back to that. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guests. Strategist, publicist, and producer of the series, Power On, Na Win. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. 
Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snort detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from SOC Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three-quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.socprime.com with promo code RADIO2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code RADIO2019. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Strategist, publicist, and producer of the influential series, Power On, Now Win. So, now we were talking before in, in one of the earlier segments about um, branding. And we were, and you branded yourself as a strategist, and I said I was eventually going to get to that question, and now's the time. Yeah. I'd really like to understand, uh, you know, what do you mean when you say strategist, and, and how important is branding yourself in, in, in the industry that you're in? Branding is crucial. It's, it's the you know, easiest way for people to figure out what you do, who you are. And, and as a strategist, I'm a longtime publicist who fell into producing film and television. And what I do now is work at the intersection of entertainment, sports, and philanthropy, helping large organizations or individual influencers shift culture through creative storytelling. Well, that's pretty intense, and that's pretty specific. Um, <laughs> sure, for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm a storyteller. I help people get their messaging out. This is essentially what it is. So yeah. whether I help produce or do PR for them, I figure out what the best uh, approach is. Your, your, your answer just made me reflect on my <laughs> brand a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> that was a good answer. So, so what kind of stories do you still want to tell? Like we talked about storytelling. There's a whole bunch of stories that people want to tell. What, what kind of story do you want to tell? For your oh, there's so many different stories I want to tell. I mean, the bottom line is I just want to tell stories that are inspiring and make a lasting impact and how to better change the world. You know, is it, is, it, is it important when you just said change the world just reminded me of the sense of purpose that people require today when they take a job? You know, a lot of people, and it's just not about the money. You know, it's not about career advancement. It's about impact. You know, the significance of the impact that they can have and the sense of purpose that they get from the job. I mean, do, do you see that as more and more of a requirement when people are looking for jobs? It's just not the income, right? 
Yeah, it, you know, it reminds me of a quote that I love, which is people will forget what you say and people will forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And so I just think it's about making an impact and an imprint on people's hearts and their minds at the end of the day, right? Yeah, that's huge. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that you said that, right? It's, it's just people aren't going to, they can forget what you say or do, but they're not going to forget how you made them feel. Yeah. Right? That's uh, yeah. That's important. So important in today's culture as we're going through the digital transformation and interconnecting everyone, you know, by machine, right? And, and you, I mean, man, it's amazing. It's a very powerful statement. So now, look, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It, it's, it's been too, too long since we saw you. I mean, we have to get together soon. Do you come out to New York a lot? I do. I used to split my time between LA and New York, less so now, but I would love that. That'd be great. Yeah, we'd love to, you know, get together when you come out here. And if we take the trip out, we'll do the same. We'll let you know we're coming. And uh, we got to we got to collaborate on a few things. There's so much exciting stuff going on. Appreciate you. I hope you, I hope you come on again. You're welcome. Hope you come on again. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, folks. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force Seven Radio. The voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 